scripture this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Uh, it's really exciting to be celebrating our sixth birthday. Man, time flies. And I feel like the pandemic year or years, I don't know, kind of hit the pause button on things, but six years. Some of you guys go all the way back then, and most of you have joined the, the family since then. Uh, we're just so thankful with all that God has been doing. If you're new and you're checking things out, you picked a great time to jump in. There's group signups happening right now in different places you can, you can sign up for a team. Do take full advantage of the Bonchon Chicken. Uh, we'd love to celebrate with you. Cindy said that we love to celebrate things and party. We, food is very much a part of all of that. If you couldn't tell by all the flavors that were described there for you in terms of cupcakes, you could pick out. Well, I was, I was trying to think about, and I was praying about, like, what our focus could be on today. Because here it is, our sixth birthday, and here we are on our second Sunday in this new space that we're really excited about. I was thinking about, I was praying about, okay, what could our focus be today? And here's what I feel like the Lord kind of put on my heart. To remember that this church is not just about us. I love celebrating this idea of like on this birthday where we might be tempted to think or feel, hey, this, this is about us. No, 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 let's remind ourselves. This is about the Lord and his mission, which includes very much the people not yet here. One of our values here at Current, very core value of ours, is to be an outward-focused church. We want to be outward-focused. We want to be constantly thinking about those who are not yet here. Uh, because we feel like that's what God calls us to do. Now, he absolutely calls us to care for one another, to serve each other, to love and do all that among ourselves. That's what the Bible calls us to do as a church. So we're, we're committed to that, but, we're, but we don't want to do that so much that we neglect or forget our call to be about those not yet here as well, to bring them into the fold. So we want to remind ourselves of that. Jesus was all about outward-focused I mean, just time and time again, you just read the scriptural accounts of his life, of his ministry. He was constantly thinking about those not yet in the fold. I mean, even to the degree where it created tension for him, which we see in our text today. We'll get to it. But Jesus made it very clear in the text we're reading today, we're going to study, that God has an outward-focused heart. He wants us to as well. So we're going to look today to this wonderful text and consider, how, consider principles for how we as a church want to increasingly be mindful of those who are not yet here. So let me say a prayer, and then we'll, then we'll jump into the text. Father, on this day, our birthday, uh, we say this is only because of you and only for you. There's, there's been so many things that, are, that have happened in the life of the church, not least, least of which dozens and dozens of people who have made first-time faith decisions to follow you. I still remember in the living room someone saying and everybody agreeing, man, if, 
all this was for the sake of one person putting their faith in, in, in Jesus, it would all be worthwhile. And so on this side of that, just seeing all the, hearing all the life stories, baptisms, faith decisions we celebrate, we give you praise. It's because of you. We give you praise for the impact we're able to have in the community, for all the life story changes, the way we're able to serve one another. Today, fathers, we think about this birthday and our focus on you. We also want to remind ourselves of your focus to be outward thinking, to be thinking about those not yet in the fold. And would you, would you help us in that? Because we, we confess it can be real easy for us to increasingly become inward folks and about us. So would you help us adopt more deeply the heart of Jesus, and that is being about those who are not yet here as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So our text begins with these words. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them, a parable. Now, I just love Jesus, I mean, for any number of reasons, but I love how he just loves everybody. He just loved everybody, spent time with any and everybody, and he did so even with the resolution that he was going to do that if he was feeling pressure to, that he ought not to be and do otherwise, which is what the religious establishment, the religious leaders were basically doing to him here, kind of con condemning him for his behavior. By Luke chapter 15, Jesus is probably around about two years into his three-year three uh, life of ministry, and he's already developed this reputation as, quote, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors back then, just real quickly here, were considered really traitors to their own people. The way it worked back then is the Roman government, which was seen as the oppressors and that sort of thing, the, the tax collectors would be people brought out of, their, uh, of these different conquered people groups to kind of help raise the taxes by making a little bit of extra money for themselves on the side. And all this was happening behind closed doors. You didn't know how much they were taking on top, even as the price taxes were going higher and higher. All that's to say is every people group saw the tax collectors among them as just traitors and just the lowest of the low, sellouts. And then this term, of course, sinners, is just kind of a general uh, reference of people who are kind of known for being immoral. But really, actually, it was more than that. People just who weren't all that religious. Remember, this is 2,000 years ago in a very religious society. So these are the people that Jesus was spending a lot of time with. And it was the thinking back then that these categories of people were very much outside the favor of God. I mean, that was just widespread belief. If you were a tax collector, if you were labeled kind of a sinner, you were outside the favor of God. In fact, if anything, they saw you as cursed. And so the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, these, this religious group of, of leaders would say you, you ought not to associate with these kind of folks. So what Jesus was doing was unthinkable for anybody, let alone somebody who was a teacher, somebody who was kind of a standout. But we're told Jesus not only associated with them, he, quote, welcomed and ate with them. Uh, there's a little bit more force in the original language than what's caught in our English. The word to welcome, in this sense, was to receive openly, to accept into, into, uh, just really uh, willingly into one's company. And then this, this eat with phrase wasn't just like a description of events. Back then, to eat with somebody was a big deal. It meant you were opening up your life to them. You, you were having table fellowship, is how, is how they, they saw it. it. It didn't mean necessarily you were condoning their choices or what they were about or conforming to it, but it meant you were linking your story 
to theirs. And so Jesus was, was out there doing this, and the teachers of the, of the law, the, the Pharisees, these religious leaders, just came to them and were just like, you, you can't do this. And what's amazing about Jesus is he doesn't bother to defend himself here. He doesn't go, no, 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 what I'm doing is right, what you're doing is wrong, let me give you the rationale. Instead, he does the classic Jesus thing and launches into a story, into a parable, which is really a simple story to convey, to, to illustrate a spiritual lesson. Uh, I love that. And what he does with this parable, before we even jump into it, and really with his life, is he doesn't just say to these guys, you're wrong, I'm right. He actually tells them a story with, with the goal of saying, guys, you're absolutely right what I'm doing, spending my time with these guys, and it's wonderful. What's more, you should join me in this. Uh, so before we even get into this parable, we already see a principle of outward focus just kind of right off the bat. And the, the first one we see here is we need to prioritize time with those outside the fold. So to get more practical or kind of down to earth for us here, it means as followers of Jesus, if, we, if current is our home, we need to prioritize time with people outside of current. We need to find a way to prioritize that with, with our time. Because think of it this way. If there was any person who could have justifiably been spending most of his time with his people, doing his things, if there's any person who could have been bogged down with the needs of the people who were coming to him, with what they had hit, with his own, to be in his own holy huddle, it would have been Jesus. He could have spent more than enough time with just his people who were just kind of, he, had, he could have easily just, that's his thing. But Jesus, even with that being the case, deliberately and intentionally made it a real point to spend time with people not yet in the fold, even to the tune of being labeled a friend of tax collectors and sinners, or labeled as someone who welcomes them, eats with them. We too need to prioritize time with those not yet in the fold. I believe this is hard enough for Christians to do, just in general, but now coming out of this side of the pandemic, uh, this is all the more challenging, right? I mean, with, with all the new rhythms that we've established, the new habits out of the pandemic to just kind of do things a little bit more inward, whatever, however you would define that. This is all the more challenging, but then also, the flip side of that, all the more important that we really find ways to prioritize time with people, not just, say, here or people that we regularly just kind of see within, say, the church. We have to intentionally be actively looking for ways to spend time, prioritize time with folks outside the church. Here's another way of thinking about Jesus' description here as he's, he's labeled welcoming uh, tax collector sinners, eating with them. That's just to say he was befriending them. <laughs> he's just looking to be friends with. I have a, a, a friend who started a church in the Boston area, very personal guy, a guy named Sean Sears, a pastor there. He's, he's a great leader. And he is the kind of guy that uh, his Christian friends label as an evangelist. He always just kind of shrugs it away. He's like, oh, no, no, come on, come on. But like his, his Christian friends will label him an evangelist because he's just around people. People are always around him, and people are just coming to know Jesus around him. That's the kind of thing. I mean, he, he tells a story of how they started the church there in the Boston area, which is not an area like the Bay Area, known for being receptive towards Christianity. He started it with essentially just his neighbors, all of whom who didn't know Jesus. Like he just built relationships with them, started a Bible study, and they were like, they, on their own, said to Sean, like, should we start a church? Like, is this, what should we? So they started a church. It's an incredible, life-giving church there in the Boston area. That's the kind of guy this, uh, you know, Sean, Sean is. Well, one time I was, I was with him. I was hanging out with him. 
And uh, another buddy of ours asked him, so how do you do that? Like, how can I do that? You know, like, how can I kind of live a similar, similar life? And Sean said, look, Christians just so, so often overly complicate the matter. When it comes to sharing their faith, Christians just so easily just over, overcomplicate it, thinking like, oh, I just got to figure out how to debate, or oh, I got to figure out how to have the right answer. He said, really, it just comes down to something really straightforward, and that is being someone's friend. It's like, can you do that? <laughs> and he went on to say, he said, look, Christians have this understanding sometimes, too, that Christians are the only ones asking big life questions. He's like, that's absurd. Everybody's Christian, non-Christian, everybody's asking big life questions. And who do we ask our big life questions to? Well, our friends. He said, well, then be a friend. Be a friend so that when folks are asking their life questions, you can be like, well, here's, here's why I find my hope in Jesus. And here's, here's why you can see God's love in, in Jesus. Here's, a, here's an insight. Okay, I'm saying this a little tongue-in-cheek. Being someone's friend, though, takes time. It takes time. Jesus had to spend a lot of time welcoming people into his life. He had to spend time eating with them. And, and over time, he developed this, this label that his accusers were trying to give him a hard time for. But he's like, actually, yeah, that's awesome. As a friend of tax collectors and sinners, he, he befriended folks. And, you know, I would just say, just to spend a quick minute on this, thinking about in terms of, like, what this could mean for us, like, could you eat with people? I mean, I love this idea. It's like everybody has to eat, right? So you might as well just find time to like invite people into that eating space. So we need to prioritize time with people outside the fold. In the workplace, when you go off to that wonderful lunch, I try not to be envious. Many of you guys in the tech world get to eat. <laughs> and you grab your salads. And you... Could, you, could you maybe instead of just grabbing it and going back to the workstation to jam, could you instead take a coworker and have... Time over, you know what I'm saying? Could you, could you do that? Uh, could you open up your backyard or patio space to have a simple meal with some neighbors in the area? Just to, just to get to know them a little, little, little better. Spend time getting, getting to become friends. And, um, we need to be prioritizing time with folks outside the fold. And here, here's what I'd ask you, and we're kind of making this time collectively. I'll talk more about this later as we gear up for our, our launch party on October 9th. We're kind of making this time, okay, how can we do this together? How can we be thinking about very this very intentionally as a, as, a, as a community? Could you maybe commit, could you prayerfully commit over the next month or so of having lunch or dinner, a meal, with one person or one family at least twice? Could you shoot for that? We're not big on, you know, guilting you or pressuring. So there's, there's, no one's going to follow up on you. But just as we think about what this means to prioritize time with those outside the fold, could you commit to prayerfully inviting somebody to have a meal with you, one person or one family, at least twice over the next month? I mean, that's the idea here. Jesus was spending time very actively, very intentionally with those outside the fold. That's, that's the first principle for what it means to come alongside God with this outward-focused heart. The second one is this. We need to be willing to be uncomfortable we need to have a willingness to be uncomfortable for the sake of others. So Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Uh, what's really funny is down the years, I've heard a number of preachers talk about this text. It's a, kind of a classic text. And I've heard a number of preachers uh, kind of do some mental gymnastics here to try to explain away what Jesus is saying. So, for instance, I've, I remember hearing one preacher say, 
Okay, so Jesus is saying there's a shepherd out in the field with these hundred sheep, and one goes missing, and, and he leaves the 99 to go after the one. What, what, what he doesn't include in the story, but almost certainly was, was implying, is he found another shepherd to take care of the 99 while he went after the one. Or I've also heard this, like, oh, what happened here was, Jesus didn't really say this, he was implying it, but he, he left the 99, but in, in kind of an enclosed space, so that they were okay. And then when I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not making this up. The, the funny thing is, the funny thing is, Jesus not only doesn't say anything to that degree, he actually explicitly says the, the shepherd left the 90, 99, quote, in open country. <laughs> right? I, I, this has been very uncomfortable, like all around. I mean, this is, a, this is an awkward, hard, hard situation to kind of work out. Let's, let's recognize that, okay? It would have been uncomfortable for the sheep the 99. I mean, think about that. We're not in an agrarian society, right? We don't know sheep. Some of you might know sheep better than others. I Certainly more than I do. But what I, what I do know is sheep are really conditioned to be looking for their shepherd and what their shepherd is wanting and kind of leading. Where, they're, where the shepherd's leading them, where the, where the food's going to be coming from next. You know what I mean? Like the sheep are just constantly like dependent, like really dependent on the shepherd. So you could just imagine, and they get scared real easy. So you, you could just imagine, you know, the 99 over here, an open country, and seeing the shepherd go like, should we be following? You know, you know what I mean? Like, that would have been uncomfortable sheep. It would have been uncomfortable for the shepherd in this story. Because think of the logic here. By definition of the shepherd leaving the 99 to go after the one means he cares a lot about each and every one sheep. So he cares about the 99. It's not to say, well, the 99, whatever cares very much, just as intensely about each of those 199 as he does for the one. But in the grand scheme of things, he's like, I got I to gotta go after the one. And, and what's more is, as Jesus is telling this story, he's saying, you guys know in this agrarian society, you guys know this is the case. Of course that shepherd would leave the 99 to go after the one. That's how important this is. Jesus is talking about a story like, hey, the willingness to be uncomfortable for the sake of the one who's outside the fold. That's the parable. But then Jesus is also living this out as he's telling the story. Right? I mean, he's, he's literally being labeled as somebody who goes after the lost. Well, tax collectors and sinners. And he's literally being made uncomfortable. At least that's the tactic. To be like, well, you're doing that. How could you? Jesus is literally becoming uncomfortable for the sake of doing the very thing he's teaching about. He's living it out. This is how much God has the heart for those outside the fold. And he wants us to as well. And it means we need to be willing to be uncomfortable. We need to be willing to deal with some discomfort for the sake of helping those outside the fold into it. I mean, there's any number of examples we can talk about. This is where my mind kind of landed this week in light of what's coming up. This might seem like a trivial example, but I think it's very timely to think about, strategic to think about collectively as a church family. I believe there's a, lot of t there's a lot of opportunity right now here on Sunday mornings to live this out. To be uncomfortable for the sake of those outside. Wait a minute, what? Aren't we talking about people here? Yeah, okay. Right now, we have this wonderful strategic time as we're in this new space. And as we gear up to do a, a postcard invite on October 9th to launch our, you do our launch party and do all that sort of stuff. To welcome people from the outside in. And if you've been church for any length of time, you know that churches can easily become inward-focused groups. And I don't say that with any sense of judgment or... Because we're people. People do that. 
But as a church, we need to, especially in this time, as that's happening, be mindful of, hey, there might be somebody coming in. Actually, there's probably, let's assume people are coming in who aren't yet a part of the fold. One of the things I love about Current is we're such, we reflect so much of this community in the sense that, the broader community, in the sense that we're, we're a very transient demographic. People are coming in and out because that's, that's the Silicon Valley, which means if you're new today, you're among many like that. I mean, it's funny, I, I, as people start to be call current their home, people feel like they're, well, I'm still just kind of like new to the church. I'm like, well, you're old now in the church because there's a lot of newer people. You know, that's the kind of, and it's fun and exciting, which means if you're new, it's like you're not going to be new for long and there's places to kind of jump in and there's a community that will hopefully embrace you and all that sort of stuff. But what I'm saying is as we are in this especially like kind of strategic moment, I will say, in this new space, and we're thinking about our launch party, there's a special opportunity to welcome people from the outside in. And it includes maybe being a little uncomfortable for the sake of helping them feel welcome. This is making sense. Well, how does that mean? How could we be uncomfortable? Well, let's take a very, what might seem like a trivial example. If you've ever been new to a church and you've walked in, you typically see that churches will have the, the people who know each other talking to the people who know each other. We've, we really want to intentionally, in fact, we call it uh, try to kind of intentionally kind of like fight against that natural tendency. Because that's our tendency, too, because we're people, too. And so what we've done is we've, 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 we've instituted what we call the three-minute rule. Again, we're not trying to be legalistic at this church, so it's not, not like anybody follows up on this sort of thing. But we kind of commit together, okay, can we, can we, can we do this? And the three-minute rule is anybody who's serving on a team or in leadership, it's like at the end of a Sunday gathering when we could tear down, when we could do all the, when we could talk to other people that we know, we for at least, at least the first three minutes look for folks who might be new to welcome them in. Not in a weird way, like, you're, you're new, I got to talk, you know, but just like a, you know what I'm saying? Like, but fighting the tendency of just what we will normally do, myself included, be like, oh, hey, how was your week? Haven't seen you since last Sunday. <laughs> hey, that's great. I don't want to knock that. Let's, let's keep that up. But what I'm saying is maybe for the first three minutes, because you know how it goes. First three minutes tops, you know, if you're extroverted, maybe five minutes. If you're new, you're going you're gonna to leave. But people you know are probably going to still be here. Is, it, is this making sense? Like, we just want to, we want to be a community that builds into the culture, not this legalistic, we got to figure, this, this idea of, like, we want to welcome people in. I've lost track of how many people, friends, who have found Jesus by coming into a welcoming community. One gal, on, uh, right before her baptism, straight up said it was somebody smiling at her at a church that helped her feel welcome, where she stayed, she heard the gospel, she heard about Jesus, eventually put her faith in Jesus. I'm like... What more motivation does a welcome team need? You know, or any of us as we are, like just welcoming people in. Because we say every week, current is a community following Jesus together. And you're welcome wherever you're at on your spiritual journey. We're all on this spiritual journey. And we want to make it possible for everybody to be a part of it because it's all God's family anyways. And so if you're outside the fold, we want you in the fold because, hey, it's God's family, not ours. And so I would just encourage you, like, what ways might that look like? Okay, so that's, that's one aspect on Sunday mornings, kind of creating that. It's not hard, right? A little, little uncomfort, not, not, discomfort, not saying hi to friends for a little bit. And there's not going to be the police going around watching for that, but it's something we can kind of collectively link arms and do together. The other thing I would say is as we're gearing up for our launch party on October 9th, we're getting ready to do postcard invitations out into the community, welcoming people into this space which, real quickly, as a side note there, I used to not be big on postcard invitations until a number of people put their faith in Jesus having received a card. I'm like, I'm all about that now. 
But we're going to do that, so it means that more folks are going to come. But here's the other thing we want to do. We want to kind of collectively going into that, say, okay, how can we link arms? How can we pull together? Okay, I want to break this down because this goes back to the living room days. We call, we're calling October 9th our launch party a pull Sunday. That's kind of random. What's, what's behind that? Well, uh, I don't know if you know, but there's, a strategy, there's, there's actually strategy in competitive tug-of-war. On ESPN 2, maybe 3 or 4, if you watch tug-of-war, there's actually strategy. It's not just big dudes really strong pulling, okay? That's part of it. But there's a, there's a strategy. We actually did team building exercises, and it was fun. We did tug-of-war, and everybody's hands were tearing gloves for that. But anyways, there's a strategy to it because you, you don't just everybody, okay, pull hard. You Everybody, okay, pull hard. But then on the count of, say, three, one, two, three, everybody pull and does an extra exertion. Does that make sense? And it's in that way that you really can kind of, you know, turn the tide in a, in a, in a tug of war. Well, that concept is, is kind of there for us when we do things like this on a pull Sunday because we're like, how can we all collectively together in community maximize this, what we believe God-given opportunity being in this new space, having the equipment to kind of saying we're here and all that sort of postcards, all this stuff coming together, pull together. Is that making sense? So one component of that I would love to invite you in, the team would love to invite you into that, is ask with the language of this parable, who's your one? Who's your one? Who's somebody you can commit to praying for and actively looking for an opportunity to invite on October 9th? Now, I want to be clear, we want to make every Sunday an opportunity to invite people. It's not, you know what I mean? But like we can all collectively pull, so to speak, to just kind of collectively be in mission together. Is this making sense? And so I would encourage you, who, who, who's your one? Who could be someone? By the way, this ought to be true of all of us Christians, let alone October 9th and what Kern's doing. But who's your one? Maybe the Lord, by his spirit, brings someone to mind right now in the workplace or down the street or... But who's somebody you could be actively praying for and looking for opportunity to, to invite on October 9th? And you know what? Being in the Silicon Valley, that might be a little uncomfortable to invite somebody to church. But if that's the uncomfortable thing for us, oh, it's worthwhile. Jesus is willing to become uncomfortable for the sake of bringing people in. You, can, you know, actually, it's really cool. Someone on uh, one of the leaders... Of, the small, of our current groups had an idea at a leader meeting the other night, told our, our staff team, and the idea is starting to generate and starting to come, take uh, formation. What we're, what we're trying to do, it looks like it might happen, is have available uh, free tickets to the museum for first-time guests uh, come October 9th. So it's really, but what's cool about that to me is it makes the invite a little bit easier. It's like, oh, hey, hey, our church is doing a launch party. We're new to this new space at the Computer History Museum. We'd love to have you along. And by the way, there's a, there's a ticket, you know, that kind of thing. Or, you know what I mean? I'd love to go with you afterward. I don't care, you know, about the going around. It's a wonderful space and all that sort of stuff. But, like, it's an opportunity to be like, okay, make it a little easier jump. Okay, who's your one? Who's your one? So we need to be willing. We, we need to prioritize time with those outside the fold. We need to be willing to have a little discomfort for the sake of others outside the fold. And then the last principle we see here is it's all about community. We understand it's all about community. And when this shepherd, Jesus goes on, finds this lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Look at all the references to joy, 
rejoicing, all that sort of stuff here. But, but also notice that, it's, that Jesus is saying it's all about community. It's really remarkable what Jesus is saying here. He's essentially saying, listen, I have come from a community in heaven. And let me just lo- let you know how it's really about there. Anytime a sinner is saved by grace, heaven is throwing a party. It's that joy that motivates God's community there. And it's that joy that ought to motivate us here. I loved, guys, I had such a fun moment when that slideshow was going on. And we saw the pictures of those being baptized. Everybody just just naturally just started to clap and cheer. That's what heaven's all about. That's what heaven's all about. Jesus is saying, that's what it's about. There's going to be a party. Everybody's wearing party hats. I'm having a meta moment right now. It's like we're celebrating. You know what I mean? We're not celebrating here. Wow, current's awesome. We're six years old. That's exciting. Let's not, let's not you know, downplay that. We're exciting. God's work. I was going to wear a party hat up here, but I thought it might be. Couldn't do it while I'm preaching. So don't feel bad if you're wearing a party hat. I would be too. That's what this is all about. It's, it's, it's about community, and it's a community effort, and it's a community party. So we're in this together. God calls us. You know what's really fun is at the end of the day, this story is not just about or even primarily about what we've been talking about, and that is how can we have an outward heart. That's part of it. So the first part of the sermon is not lost. But that's not ultimately what Jesus is doing here. Okay, we can, we can pull that, but it's not ultimately what Jesus is doing here with this parable. What, what Jesus is ultimately doing with this parable is, is telling, telling a story of what he came to do for us. This shepherd out there that left the 99 for the one is a story of Jesus, our good shepherd, coming to save you and me. Sinners saved by grace. That's what the story is ultimately about. He is the good shepherd who is willing to prioritize time with people outside the fold. And wouldn't you say, thank God that he did? Oh. And he was the good shepherd who was willing to lay down his life. In fact, listen to how he talks about this in another part of scripture. He says, I, he said in John's account, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them in also. They too listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus didn't just face a little bit of discomfort. Uh, He laid down his life. The good shepherd became the sacrificial lamb for you and for me. And Peter later would write it this way, one of his disciples, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. Jesus didn't just leave the 99. Jesus left heaven and didn't just give up comfort. He gave up everything, including his life, to bring us back into his fold, that we could be a part of his family. And I would just say, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus, this is the gospel, literally the good news of Jesus, that he came to give his life for you and for me. Uh, Romans 10.9 puts it this way, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can receive this today. You can be brought back into his family. Not our family. 
not current, and what, but his eternal family as we are representative of his children. And I would just say, if that's you, you can pray. Even right now, God, I am like the one lost sheep. I recognize that now. I am, I am, I'm a sinner, and I receive what Jesus did on the cross for me now. And I believe that you raised him again on the third day. And I can have, because of that, I can have life forever with you. And if you, you prayed that prayer, Jesus says, in no unclear terms, heaven is rejoicing alongside you. In fact, we would love to rejoice alongside you too. If that's the place you are or have been recently, I would encourage you to mark that on your, your connection card so that we can be a support to you, that we can, we can resource you, that we can celebrate alongside you. There'll be a time on the way out you can put that in. We're going to be taking communion in a little bit. If you recently made a faith decision, including today, we welcome you to join us in that. But for those of you who have received Jesus, don't you see that there's an invitation here today for us? Because church is not just about us. It's wonderful. I love the community here, and we're committed to having a good time, caring for each other, serving one another. But it's not just about us here. It's God's heart for us to also be about, to even prioritize being about those not yet here, not yet in the fold. And so let me ask again, who's your one? Who's your one? Heading into October 9th. Remember, we can't control people's response, but we can control the invitation. Who's your one? You'd be praying for, inviting alongside. Uh, if you'd like, I'd actually encourage you, write down the first name of the person that you want to commit to be praying for and looking for opportunity. And we'll pray for that person too. We'll pray for you in that as well, even as we're praying for each other together. But who's your one? Jesus says heaven's going to be a party. Why not start that here and now? Uh, let's pray. Father, we are so excited to be sharing uh, not only this day, thinking about our birthday, your goodness, your love, not least of which has been evident through this community, but, but celebrating the fact that you give us this mission, this call to go after the lost, which we ourselves were, to bring them into a community of followers, a church of broken people, because to, to, to play with this metaphor a little bit further, Lord, it just, it just means that we're sheep. There's no hierarchy here. It just means we're all people in desperate need of our Savior who died for us, loves us. So, Father, would you help us with that humility, with that authenticity in mind, knowing that we are sheep ourselves in desperate need of, of our Savior and our good shepherd who laid down his life. Would you help us be a community that welcomes the lost sheep of our community into your family? Thank you that you've been doing that. We pray that you do that in increasing ways, not for our glory, but for yours. Not because of our know-how, because of, but because of your heart and your willingness to use broken people like ourselves. Fathers, we take communion now. Would you center our hearts, remembering especially what Jesus did on the cross for us. After living the perfect life, he died for my sins, for everyone's sins here who would receive the forgiveness that he offered through the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. And Father, you rose him again on the third day, not only that he would have life, but we can have eternal life with you. So we remember that today. Lord, where we are sinful, we confess our sins now. 
draw from the healing waters of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.